Uh, it's good to be back with you after a couple weeks away. Uh, grateful for uh, Brandon and Joel preaching the past couple weeks as we welcomed our new son, Jackson, into our family. Uh, and just want to say thank you to all of you as well. Uh, we've received many uh, cards, gifts, uh, meals that are continuing, uh, and it is a tremendous blessing, uh, and it's been a reminder to me of how thankful I am for Keystone uh, and for this church and get to get to be a part of this church. Uh, we, we've been developing some new routines uh, as a family of four, uh, and so that's obviously changed things for us. Uh, but, but one of the routines that, that we've tried to keep, uh, and, and it's one of the routines we try to do fairly frequently, is, is our bedtime routine that we go through uh, with our older son, Oliver. Uh, and, and as I describe it to you, uh, lest you picture this kind of perfect, immaculate, uh, amazing bedtime routine, uh, let me assure you that more times than not, it does not go according to plan. Uh, and someone is left frustrated or crying in the midst of it, uh, probably usually me more than anyone else. Uh, but if it does go according to plan, here's kind of what it looks like. Uh, we go upstairs uh, to first brush uh, our teeth, uh, which has to be done with a very specific toothbrush, the Paw Patrol one. Uh, and, and then after that, uh, we go into the bedroom to put PJs on, uh, which also have to be very specific PJs, uh, usually the, either the ones with dinosaurs on, uh, or Paw Patrol on. Uh, and then we go uh, lay down on the bed and we read a Bible story and pray uh, with random facts about dinosaurs, Paw Patrol, or an assortment of other things thrown in by my son throughout that time. Uh, but once we, we finally get to praying, I'll usually ask my, my son two questions. Uh, first of all, I'll ask him, hey, what's one thing that we could thank God for today? Uh, and then the second question will be, what's one thing or one person that we can pray for tonight? Uh, and so sometimes he'll come up with ideas, and sometimes I'll need to prompt him, give him some ideas. Uh, but, but usually once we then finally get to praying, we'll close our eyes, and there'll be this kind of long pause, and that'll be followed by my son saying, wait, what was I supposed to pray for? And, and then we'll go back through it, and we'll do it again. And, may, and maybe that happens a couple of times through, throughout our prayer time. What's interesting is I think my son's struggle is really a struggle for all of us. That, that prayer is this incredible privilege, yet it's also a deep struggle. And, and not just a struggle because it's hard for us to make time and discipline ourselves to pray, but also because once we sit down to pray at times or, or once we set aside times, we, we can have this idea that, wait, what should I pray for? Who should I pray for? What should I be praying for those people? And so it's an incredible gift from God that as we open up the Bible, we find prayers scattered throughout the Bible. Almost every single book of the Bible has prayers in them. Because prayer is one of those things that, that we often learn best or, or, or learn in by hearing the prayers of others, by listening to the example of other people. And so to get to have God prompting us in what we should pray for, what he wants us to pray for, is an incredible gift to us and might help us, encourage us, and equip us in our praying. And one of those gifts is that we get to, as we read through Paul's letters in the New Testament, see and listen to what he prays for. And I just want us to stop and think about how incredible this is, that, that we get to listen in on what we would say is probably one of the spiritual giants of history, Paul, 
as he is down on his knees, not in his bedroom, but actually in a prison cell for most of these times, praying for fellow Christians. And and that we're not just listening to his words, but we're ultimately listening to God's word that is inspired through him. And so we find help and encouragement for our own praying. So over the next five weeks, both leading up to life action and then the week after life action, although that week's a little bit tentative, uh, we're going to be looking at some of the prayers of Paul. And this is meant to encourage us and instruct us as we get ready for life action. Life action is only a month out. It's crazy. It's only a month out. Next month, this time, they will be here. And we know that one of the things about that week is not just that we show up to it, although that's important, but that we're praying, asking that God would move and work amongst us. And so hopefully this series instructs us on some of the things we might be praying for leading up to that week. But, but also just beyond that, I, I hope that it's an encouragement to us in prayer in general in our lives. That, that it encourages us as we seek to pray and equips us as we seek to pray as well. Prayer is this great privilege where we speak to the living God and he hears us. And yet it's also a deep struggle where we struggle to find time to pray and struggle to know what to pray. And so I'm hoping that this series is a source of encouragement and instruction in that area of our lives. And so we're going to start this morning by listening in on Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1, verses 15 through 23. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up there. Ephesians 1, verses 15 through 23. And we're going to explore the connection between hope and prayer. But before we read these verses, let me pray for us. Father, we we recognize that when we come to your word, we remain blind to you and to what we need to know and see and believe unless you open our eyes. We remain deaf unless you open our ears. Our hearts remain dull unless you capture them and inflame them with fresh love for you. Our lives remain unchanged unless you do the work of changing us. And so I pray that as we look at your word this morning, you would do those things. You'd open our eyes, you'd open our ears, you would transform our hearts and you'd change our lives through the power of your spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians 1, starting in verse 15. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he puts all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Hope and prayer are directly connected to each other. What we are hoping for 
affects what we pray for. And our prayers inevitably affect our level of hope and what we're hoping for. You might picture these, hope and prayer, as the two balls on the side of what's called Newton's cradle. I don't know if you've ever seen one of these before. But if you move one, it inevitably moves the other back and forth. That when we hope for certain things, it leads us often to pray for those things. And as we pray for things, then we hope that those things would happen. So these two things are connected and they go back and forth and back and forth affecting one another. And while Paul only mentions hope once in these verses that we read, I want to explore this morning how I think really all that he says connects to hope in some way. That we might see prayer springs from hope, that it gives voice to our hopes, and and that it can fill us with more hope. Or or here's how I, I put it for the big idea. We pray from hope, in hope, and for hope. We pray from hope, in hope, and for hope. Those are the three things we're going to try to look at as we look at these verses, mainly verses 16 through 19 this morning. First of all, from hope. That we pray from the hope that God can change what we can't change. That God is able to change what we cannot change, which is a lot of things. Paul starts this prayer by giving thanks for the Ephesian Christians. And that's a common thing for him to do as he's writing his letters. You see it in Colossians, you see it in Philemon, you see it in Romans, I think you see it in Thessalonians as well, where Paul starts off by giving thanks for fellow Christians. And he's giving thanks for their faith in Jesus Christ and their love for one another. But he's not thanking them. He's giving thanks to God which we kind of read over, but we should stop and think that's a little bit odd. I want to see how it's even more explicit in Colossians, Colossians 1, 3 through 4, where Paul says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. It's kind of an odd thing to do on the surface. Let me give you an illustration of why this might be odd in normal life. Uh, over the past couple weeks, as I said, we've been receiving meals uh, from people inside the church as well as friends and family outside the church. And it's been an incredible blessing as we transition to a family of four. Uh, it leaves us very thankful when someone else shows up with a meal and dessert and it ends up being leftovers for the next couple of days. And we're just tremendously grateful for that gift. But it would be a little bit odd if we wrote thank you letters to people who gave us the meals and said something like this in those letters. Hey, your meal was delicious and we are so grateful for it and we just want you to know that we are giving thanks to Aldi on behalf of your meal. Think, what? why would you give thanks to Aldi on behalf of that meal? Aldi didn't produce the meal. That person produced the meal. So why is it not odd for Paul to give thanks to God for something that is in the lives of the Ephesian Christians, their faith and love, because they did not produce those things. God produced them in these Christians. This is a truth that shapes all of Paul's praying, and it's a truth that should shape our praying as well, that God is able to change what we cannot change, that it's God who brings every single bit of spiritual growth in our lives. Prayer springs from the hope that God is really able to change people. God is able to change the Ephesians where Paul can't. 
So he prays for God to do that, and then he gives thanks when God does. God is able to change our children where we can't. So we should pray for our kids and then give thanks when we see God at work in their lives. I was struck by last week Joel's message, those five points he gave of what we should pass on to our kids in the faith. And I thought, man, these are things that we should be praying for our kids as well. That God would do these things to open their eyes to see how amazing he is, how good his commands are, how faithful and true he is, how just and merciful he is, all these things. We can't do that. We, we can tell them about it. We can't make them see, but God can. And so we should pray. That, that we should pray for our spouses to change and then praise God as we see him at work in their lives. That we should pray for our neighbors and friends and others in our sphere of influence to change, for God to work in their lives to change them, and then praise him and thank him where we see him at work. Every bit of spiritual growth and change is a result of God's work, not just our initial salvation, but every single bit of growth. That, that should lead us to pray. And, and that's not just true of others, but, but also of us. That prayer springs from the hope that God will continue to change us. If we want to grow spiritually in any way at all, that only happens if God causes it to happen in us. That only happens if he changes us. There's a danger that I see at least in myself, and I wonder if it's not a danger for a lot of us, that slowly over time, we start to think the power for change is rooted in our habits and our disciplines that may be very good and needed, but that don't change us unless God uses them. Habits like reading the Bible, gathering as a church, being in small groups, showing up to life action, those things do not change us on their own, but only if God works through them and we're asking him to change those. Every month, uh, I go to the barbershop about once a month. And I go there because I want a change to happen. I want to leave with my hair shorter and better looking than when I walked in the door. But it does me no good to just show up to the barbershop and sit there for 20 or 30 minutes and then walk out. If I have not asked the barber, hey, would you cut my hair? If I just sit there and I show up and I never ask him to do something, then it does no good. It doesn't leave me changed in any way. The same reality is true of all our habits and disciplines in this life. The good things, the means of grace God gives us, like I said, reading the Bible, gathering together, worshiping together, coming to life action, those things are all good and we should practice them and more. But the power for change does not lie in them. If it does, Christianity is just a self-help religion. The power for change lies in God and his ability to change us. And so as we go through these good habits, means of grace, we should be asking God, God, meet me, change me, show me who you are, reveal yourself to me, help me to know you more. Like like we should be praying, God, what do we want God to do in the midst of it? As we open our Bibles to read them, what is it we want God to do? Ask him to do it. God, open my eyes, satisfy me with yourself, make me more like Christ. As we gather on a Sunday morning, it's good for us to gather together, but we should also be asking God, 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 would you help me to hear you this morning? As the word is preached, would you, would you help me to worship you as we're singing together? Would you, would you help me to love and encourage other Christians and do the same through others for me? 
as we, as we gather in a month for, for life action, it's a really good thing to set aside time to be here for that week. But, but just being here is not going to change us unless God works. And so we, sh- we, we should be thinking, what is it I want to see God do in my own life that week? What is it I want to see him do? What is it I want to see him change? What is it I want to see him change in my, my church, Keystone? What is it I'd love to see him change in our community? And then to make it a goal that as we're leading up to that week, we're praying for those things, asking God to do what we can't do. Because we pray from the hope that God can change what we can't change, both in ourselves and in other people. We also pray in hope. And what I mean by that is we pray for what we think is most important. What we are hoping for, what we are designed for, what we want to see happen is usually what we pray for the most. And so listen again to what Paul prays for. He prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Do you know what's surprisingly absent from Paul's prayer here and most, if not all other places we read his prayers? Prayers for physical and material things. That's most of my prayers, if I'm honest. Praying for material things. God, God, would you provide something either I don't have or someone else doesn't have that they're longing for? Maybe it's a job or or finances or, or a spouse or a child or something else. Or physical needs. God, would you heal this person? Would you relieve the pain and suffering they're going through? Or, or maybe it's relational needs. God, God, would you help in this marriage, my marriage, someone else's marriage? Would you help in someone's parenting, my own parenting? Would you help in this relationship that's broken, right? Please hear me. Praying for those things is not bad. We should pray for those things. Elsewhere, Paul is going to tell us that we should pray for everything in Philippians. And Jesus tells us to pray for our daily bread, what we need. We should be praying for those things. But if all or most of our praying is simply guided by material and physical needs and not spiritual needs, then it may show that our priorities are actually out of whack with the Bible's priorities and God's priorities. This is why it's really good for us to have the Bible shape our priorities in praying. The, the Bible should shape our priorities as we pray. It's one of the benefits of us being able to use Paul's prayers or really any other part of the Bible as a launch board for our praying. That we find as we read scripture, what is God's heart? What he longs for? What he desires for us and for other people? We see his priorities And then we're able to take those and pray those things over us or over other people. And and that may seem weird and difficult at times, and it may just feel far easier for us to pray, God, bless this person or help this person. But as we discipline ourselves to, to use the Bible actually to help shape our prayers, mold our prayers, be fodder for our prayers, over time we might find our priorities in praying and even our just priorities in life being more and more in line with God's heart and what he desires. I've started over the past uh, two, three weeks trying to do some workout videos on YouTube. Uh, I don't know why I've just started these. I don't know if I'm trying to avoid dad bod or what it is, but I've just decided I'm going to try doing these over the winter. 
Uh, the first time I did one, I, I pulled YouTube up on our TV screen, uh, and my wife was sitting behind me on the couch uh, with our youngest son. And so she could see both the, the TV screen, uh, and then she could also see me between the TV screen and her. And uh, I think most of the time I was doing that 20-minute workout program, uh, she was behind me laughing at me. Uh, rightfully so. Here's why. Because the moves that the person was doing on the TV were far different than the moves that I was doing as I was trying to reenact what he was doing. He looked good by the moves he was doing. I looked like a fool as I was doing it. But here's what I would guess. If I stuck with it, and if I kept watching that video, and I kept trying to do that workout, slowly but surely, over time, my moves would more and more match his moves. And the same reality, I would say, is true with us using the Bible to shape our praying. That it may feel weird or unnatural for us to do it. We may get discouraged by it because it seems really difficult. But slowly but surely, over time, if we use the Bible to shape our praying, to be a launch board for our praying, we might find our hearts being conformed more and more to God's priorities and our prayers being conformed more and more to his priorities as well. And we can find from Paul's prayer here what our greatest priority should be, what our greatest hope and desire should be, both for ourselves and for others. And, and here's what it is. Our greatest priority should be knowing God better. Our greatest priority, greatest desire, greatest hope should be knowing God better. So let me read verse 17 again, this time in the New Living Translation. Paul says, I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. Is your greatest desire, your greatest hope, your greatest longing, to know more of God? Here's my honest answer to that question. Sometimes, but probably more often than not, I'm lacking in that area. And we can and should then pray that God would create more of a desire in us for him, that we would long for him more than anything else. J John Piper says it this way. He says, prayer is not only the measure of our hearts, revealing what we really desire, it is also the indispensable remedy for our hearts when we do not desire God the way we ought. Like we, we can and should pray, God, help me to long to know you more. God, I feel that my desires are, you for, are so weak at times that I desire so many other things but you. But God, change that in me. Make me desire you more. And then right along with that, God, help me to know you better. I want to know more of your power. I want to know more of your grace. I want to know more of your love. I want to know more of your holiness. I want to know more of your perfections, God. Help me to know you better. Show me yourself. Reveal yourself to me. That, that's a very simple and yet practical prayer we can be praying for ourselves and others as we head into the life of week at, or the week of life action. Excuse me. God, help us to know you better. Help us to see more of you. Help us to increase or increase our desires for you in the midst of that week. But don't miss that Paul points out knowing God better is not simply a matter of the head. It's a matter of the heart, the, the center of who we are. And so Paul prays that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened 
so that we might know certain truths. He's going to point out three in this passage. And as we know these truths, we might find they, they fill us with hope as we go throughout this life. Or in other words, we pray for hope, that we pray to see and know truths that would fill us with hope. It's interesting that this prayer comes right after Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. And if you read that portion of the Bible, what you find is this incredible description of the blessings we have in Jesus. That we have been chosen in him, that we've been adopted into God's family, that we've been loved, that we've been forgiven, that we have redemption, that we have the Holy Spirit, that we have an inheritance in heaven and all these incredible blessings we have. And now this prayer in some ways is Paul praying, I want you to see and know those blessings in such a way where they affect how you think and feel and live day by day by day. Paul's praying that, that we might see what is really true for us and of us in Christ. I'm guessing most of you, or at least many of you, have probably seen a movie in theaters at some times that was in 3D. Uh, one of my uh, favorite movies that I've seen, it was the first movie I think I saw in 3D, was the, the first Avatar movie that came out, I think, in 2009. And I remember watching that movie uh, in a theater in Reading and just being blown away. Oh, this, is, this is incredible. This is so beautiful. This is amazing. I've never seen anything like this before. But there were several times during that three-hour movie, because it was a long movie, where, where I took off my 3D glasses. And, and this is what happens if I take off my real glasses now. And everything just kind of became blurry and grainy. And what was beautiful and incredible all of a sudden no longer really was when I took those glasses off. But when I put them back on, I could really see what was true and see what was wonderful. Paul is praying in these verses that God might give us the 3D eyes of faith to really see what is wonderful and true in Christ and that it might then fill us with hope as we live. And and these are things that we can pray for ourselves and for others as well. First of all, three things. Pray that we might see and know what the future holds because of Jesus. Paul prays that we might know the hope to which God has called us. What's the hope that we've been given in Christ? The hope that we're going to live forever. The hope that we're going to be in God's presence forever. The hope that we're going to have new bodies fully free of sin in a world fully free of evil where everything wrong is made right and we experience only goodness and pleasure and joy at God's right hand forevermore. That's an incredible hope. But it's so hard to hold on to at times because all we know is here and now. So hard for us to really live like that hope is true because all we know is here and now and this life We're a little bit like babies drinking milk and formula for the first year of their lives who can't imagine the glories of steak and hamburgers and french fries and milkshakes and Chick-fil-A because all they know is milk or formula. All we know is here now, and so it's hard for us at times to grasp and imagine the glory of what lies in the future for us because of Christ. But, But make no mistake the future for us is utterly glorious in Christ. Far better than a chocolate milkshake compared to formula. 
that's the, the, the future we have in Christ is incredible and amazing, and, and yet so often we fail to see it and know it and hold to it. And so Paul prays that we would. Because when we're really holding to that hope, the world starts to lose its grip on our lives. And when we're really holding to that hope, disappointments and hopes crushed in this life and losses in this life get put into perspective for us. And that hope enables us to endure through them. And so we we should pray for the hope to see and know the hope that we have in Christ. And just think, do, do we see life through the lens of the future we have in Christ or simply through the lens of here and now? Pray that God would enable us to see life through the lens of the future. Second, we might pray that we might see and know how great God's care for us is in Jesus. Paul prays something incredible in the second part of verse 18. He prays that we might know what are the riches of his, God's, glorious inheritance in the saints. Paul is praying that we might know that as followers of Christ, we are God's inheritance. Just stop with me for a moment and think, if if you could choose any inheritance for yourself that someone else would leave behind for you, that you would get to enjoy, what, what would you choose for yourself? $5 million? Might choose that. Uh, a beach house on the uh, coast of Florida? Might choose that. A grandpa's double-barreled shotgun? Maybe that. God can choose any inheritance in the world for himself. And he chooses the fumbling, stumbling, bumbling, failing church that's full of sinners like me and you. That's incredible. This displays God's value for his people and that we are his inheritance. And and don't get me wrong, not because of anything in us, but because we are united to Christ through faith. Paul's going to go on to describe us as Christ's body. This is why we are God's inheritance. Now, how can this fill us with hope? How can that truth fill us with hope if we know that we are God's glorious inheritance? You and I handle a diamond differently than we handle a dirty rock, right? If you've got a diamond, you hold on to that thing. You you cherish it. You protect it. You make sure it doesn't get lost or destroyed. A dirty rock, who cares about that? I'm not going to hold on to that, care for that, make sure it doesn't get lost or destroyed. Paul is saying, wonder of wonders, we are like diamonds to God. Not because of us and what's in us, but because of Christ and what he's done. Because God displays his glory by saving us, changing us, and bringing us home to be with him forever. When we look at ourselves or others, we often just see the dirt. We see the flaws, we see the weaknesses, we see the struggles, we see the sins, we see the problems. Right? Isn't that often what we see when we look at ourselves or at the church? And yet, when God looks at the church, when he looks at Christians, he sees who we are in Christ, united to him, part of his body, and so God's inheritance. And guess what? God doesn't lose his inheritance. He holds on to it. He protects it. He cares for it, and he brings it home to be with him one day, forever. I think about right now, as I hold my two-week-old son in my arms. I know it, it, it is up to me to care for him. I better not drop him. I better hold on to him. He's in my arms, right? 
And if while he's in my arms, he, he starts to cry or decides to poop in his diaper or whatever it might be, I don't just all of a sudden drop him and say, all right, I'm done, I'm out of here. No, because he's my son, and so I hold on to him, and I care for him, and I've got him, and I'm not going to let him go. How much more does God do that for those whose faith is in Christ because we belong to his body and we are his inheritance? How much more? Do, do we see our lives in God's hands just like that? Just like that. And God is far better able to care for us than I am able to care for my two-week-old son because God is the one who has all authority, all dominion, all rule, all power, as, this, as these verses go on to say. So we can pray, God, help me to know how great your care is for me. Help me to see that my life is in your hands and to know you will bring me safely to be with yourself. That's the second truth we can pray that would bring us hope, fill us with hope. And then thirdly, pray that we might see and know the power that's available to us through Jesus. Listen to how Paul describes it. He says, I pray that you may know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. If you read through this, Paul's just like stacking adjectives on adjectives. He's doing what every English school teacher tells you not to do as you write an essay, saying the very, 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 very great power of Christ. And then he shows where that's been demonstrated most clearly, God's power. In taking a man who was dead, dead, lifeless, who had just been crucified shamefully, and not only raising him back to life, but raising him to the highest position in the physical and spiritual universe and putting everything under his feet. No one has power like that. No one can do that. No one else except for God. And Paul's saying that exact power is now available to you and I in Christ. Do, do we see our lives through our own resources or through God's resources? Because that makes a huge difference in the hope we have as we go throughout this life. S several months ago, I was driving home uh, from church one afternoon. And as I drive home, I, I get to a, a four-way stop sign along Strasburg Pike. And so I'm driving kind of over this hill and, and see the stop sign ahead of me and, and realize that traffic is backed up for some reason. So I'm like, okay, why is traffic backed up? And I see that at the front, right, right at the stop sign, there's a car that's not moving, not moving at all. I don't know what happened, but it's broken down. Uh, and, and there was kind of this older couple that was standing outside the car, just like, I don't know, doing what you do when you car breaks down, you're not sure what happens, kicking the tires, acting like you know what you're doing. Uh, and I can just imagine if I was in their positions, how like overwhelmed I would feel. Uh, I, I would feel like, well, what, uh, what am I going to do here? I, how am I going to get this car out of here? Uh, and so uh, in the midst of that, as they're kind of walking around trying to figure out what to do, uh, five guys from other cars jumped out, uh, came behind this car, and then pushed it through the stop sign up a slight hill and then into a parking lot on the other side. What was overwhelming and seemed impossible to this couple all of a sudden came, became incredibly possible when you got the strength of five guys behind that car pushing it. What seems overwhelming and impossible to us in our own lives, the struggles with sin, the, the battles with temptation, the problems we face, becoming more like Christ, growing to love him, being shaped into his image. All these things that on our own would feel like we've got to push a two-ton car up a hill. That when we start to grasp, we have God's power who raised Christ from the dead available to us, completely change. 
where now I'm not relying on myself and what's in me, but I'm looking at those things through God's resources, knowing that he is using his power to care for me and that his power is now available to me. And so I call out through his power, saying, God, help me. Help me in the midst of this. Grant me your power in Christ in all that I'm facing. And then we might be filled with hope. Before we move on to celebrating communion this morning, I just want to pause uh, and I want to be able to pray some of what we've just read in Paul's verses here over us as a church uh, before we get on to celebrating communion as a church. And so would you pray with me? Father, we praise you as the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. We praise you as the one who has saved us and is continuing to change us. God, we we ask that our greatest desire would be to know you, love you, trust you. We, We pray that where our desires for you are weak, you would create stronger desires. And God, we pray that ultimately we would know you more. We would know more of your grace Where all we see is our sin, we would see your grace. We would know more of your love. Where all we see is our weaknesses and failures, we would see your love. We would know more of your power. Where all we see is the the mountains that lay in front of us, we would see your power to move mountains. We would know more of your holiness, your perfections, your goodness, your glory. Father, we pray that you would help us to know the hope we have in Christ and that it would be so real to us that it would cause the world to lose its grip, cause temptations to lose their grip, cause us to endure through difficulties and trials. God, we we pray that we would know how great your care is for us, that we would see ourselves how you see us in Christ and we would know that you care for us through everything we face in this life and you've got us in your arms. And God, we pray that we would know the immeasurable greatness of your power in Christ toward us. That though our power and our resources are so small and weak, yours is not. And so we might find hope in calling out to you and seeing you work powerfully in our lives. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When we celebrate communion as a church, one of the things we're doing is that we are recognizing every single spiritual privilege we have, every single spiritual blessing we have comes to us through Christ. It doesn't come to us because of what we've done or what we will do, but comes to us through Christ. And, and this is part of why we say communion is a family meal because we're, being, we're celebrating being welcomed into God's family through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection for us. It's part of why if you are a follower of Christ, we say celebrate with us because you're part of the family. And if you're not, we say, hey, take this moment to reflect on the fact that God in Jesus invites you to be part of his family and invites you to receive all the privileges of being his son or daughter. One of the greatest privileges we have as God's sons and daughters, as being part of his family, is the ability to pray to him, to speak to him, the living God. But I think one of the struggles with prayer is that it so easily ends up becoming a duty for us rather than a privilege. And then we just end up feeling guilty and ashamed because we feel like I don't pray enough and God must be so disappointed because of how little I pray to him. Rather than seeing it as a privilege we get to enjoy. 
a couple weeks ago, uh, I was in at Women's and Babies, obviously, because we were having a son. And, and during my time there, uh, I got to enjoy one free meal. One free meal. Not because of anything that I had done. I can assure you, I did absolutely nothing. But because my wife went through the difficulty and labor of giving birth to a son, because of what she suffered, they gave me a free meal. And so I got to order steak and potatoes and a Caesar salad and the best slice of peanut butter pie that I've had in my entire life, I think. And here's here's the reality. If I didn't order that, I wouldn't have felt guilty over it. Like, wow. I really should have. That was something I had to do. I would. No, no, this was a privilege that I got to enjoy. This was something I got to take advantage of because of all that my wife had went through. The exact same thing is true of prayer. It's not this duty that God says, perform this for me so that I'll be pleased with you and approve of you. Rather, he says, I'm already pleased with you. You're already part of my family through Christ. Therefore, you get to talk to me. You get to call out to me. You get to pray to me. You get to spend time with me because Jesus has forgiven your sins and made you righteous. So come to me as children now. And as we celebrate communion, that's part of what we're remembering, that it's Jesus' blood shed for us, his body broken for us, that welcomes us into the family now and forever. And because of that, we get to enjoy all the privileges of knowing God as our father including praying to him at any time, anywhere, and about anything. And so let's remember that as we celebrate this morning. Jesus said to his disciples the the night before he was crucified, giving them a, a piece of bread, he said, this is my body, which is gonna be broken for you and I, broken on the cross for you and I. He said, eat this in remembrance of me and what I've done. And then he took the cup and he passed it around to his disciples and he said, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins and my sins as well. And so Jesus says to us, drink this in remembrance of me. Jesus, we praise you that you, the one who knew no sin, the one who should have never died, should have never suffered, should have never went to that cross, went there out of love, love for your father and love for us so that we might become your brothers and sisters and so that we might be welcomed into the family of your father. Jesus, we pray that we would know all the privileges that are ours in you that we might enjoy the privilege of praying to God as our Father, knowing that it was blood bought by you at the cross. Pray this in your name.